Hi, Kelly Vero here. Self-styled creative badass, disruptor, NFT and metaverse investigator. And I'm on a mission to uncover the world of wine and Web3. In this special series, we'll travel from soil and seed to mint and metaverse. Why don't you join me as we take in the real voices of Napa Valley and beyond in this fabulous world of wine and web three welcome to uh, uh wine and web three i'm joined today by kevin and anna we've just had a really interesting conversation before we went on air um which i'm sure you'll be able to pick up in some highlights but certainly i want to introduce you to both kevin and anna separately kevin tell me a little bit about yourself Thanks for having me, Kelly. Uh, so I'm the CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting, a firm that works with organizations uh, to address uh, sustainability challenges, but in a way that provides positive business value and um, not only cost savings, but top line revenue growth. Um, and I also teach at um, sustainability or ESG at, at reporting at Harvard. Perfect. And Anna, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about what you do. Hi, Kelly. Yeah, so my whole career has been in environmental science and management and policy, but I'm actually from Napa Valley. I'm from the wine country. I didn't intend to work back in wine, uh, but after working nationally, internationally, I really came to the conclusion that working locally has the biggest impact. And so I'm the executive director of Napa Green, and we're a leading program providing sustainability certification for wineries and vineyards here in Napa County. And I'm sure we'll talk more about what the heck does that mean? Because when I say sustainability certification, people are like, I'm interested and intrigued, but I'm not quite sure what that means. Well, that's a good place for us to start then. What does sustainability mean for the wine community? I sort of set myself up perfectly there, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> beautiful segue. So uh, last year I was at sort of one too many conferences where people were saying sustainability doesn't mean anything. It's amorphous. It's confusing. Does it really have an impact? Is it really rigorous? And I was like, dang it. There are really six pillars of sustainable wine growing leadership that any leading program is or should be working on, or they're really not leaders. And by and large, these pillars are applicable across the board. But of course, we work specifically in agriculture. So this is grounded in agriculture. But those six pillars are water efficiency, energy efficiency, waste reduction and green purchasing. Uh, what we call integrated pest management or pesticide phase out, and then social equity, justice and inclusion, which we were talking in advance about what a key piece that is in sustainability that's gotten a little sidelined. Um, and then all of that rolls into climate action and what we call regenerative farming, which we can talk more about. So those are these six pillars and it's very, you can see how it's very systematic. You have to be thinking system wide. You can't just be doing, you can't just be recycling and say I'm sustainable, right? It's much more systematic than that. Kevin has also done a, a TED talk, you know, where he's talked about these um, six fundamentals of sustainability. Uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I've got a couple of questions about that as well. But I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball, Kevin, because I think you can handle it. How do you think it applies to Web3 and, and what I would call digital tech? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, as, as Anna was saying, you know, when, when you're looking at things um, and how, how it impacts, say, Web3, web um, you know, one of the biggest areas of impact, obviously, is energy consumption and, you know, anything that's in the, the digital or NFT space. 
Um, but that also provides huge opportunity. One of the things that um, we've been working with, with a number of our clients who are in this space is looking at where their total impacts are. And as, as Anna mentioned, so often um, when you look across kind of six spectrums within the wine industry, um, people focus at what's right in front of their face that they can feel and they can touch, but that may not be where their biggest impacts are. And so kind of for, for, for you at Web3 and for others in, in kind of the, the digital space, it really comes down to their energy consumption and how they're making their decisions about which provider they're going to use um, for that. And so uh, there is huge opportunity to not only, um, you know, have your own business be more climate friendly by, you know, looking for an organization that provides a more energy efficient or even a, preferably a renewable energy option to it. But by helping also kind of evangelize for that, for everyone that's in the crypto or NFT space, that they need to move into that, that'll help drive even increased demand for renewable energy and help us get off fossil fuels faster. And so it, it's one of these things where you might be thinking, oh, you know, we're a small firm and what can we do? Your purchasing power and when you make that decision can have massive consequences, and um, and that's where I would you know encourage you know organizations like yourself to go. I want Anna to chime in on that as well because this is definitely something that is close to to you, Anna, in terms of this new horizon of NFTs and Web3 certainly has, as Kevin said, a massive effect on energy consumption as a whole. What do you see, apart from the obvious pain points, but what do you see as being those big red flags that we're, we're going to come across when we start to create either Web3 real estate or Metaverse real estate in uh, Web3 and in wine and also wine-driven labels and experiences that, that is more kind of meta or fidgetal? Yeah, well, so I was telling people I was coming on this podcast and they said, how can you be going on a podcast talking about the metaverse and Web3 given the energy grid demands of that industry currently or that trajectory? It's not really an industry. Um, and I said, well, it's it's the future. It's happening, right? So we need to engage and help people. It's like a winery will come to me that's in really bad shape. We're not going to turn them away. We're going to work with them to get better. We say sustainability is a path, not a destination. You've got to be, con there's always constant opportunities to improve. But I think it's relevant and, and tailing off what Kevin was saying. Um, we tell people now, a lot of people in the wine industry, they want to install their own solar array and it's sexy and it's visible. And it's actually maybe not the most impactful thing you can do right now, because there's a lot of ways, at least in California, we have these um, community choice programs now, these energy programs, where you can just opt up, you can pay a premium, and you're investing in 100% renewable energy. And that's changing the grid. So, and that's where we really need to be moving is changing the grid. The whole grid of the U.S. needs to be shifting to these renewables and all of the green job opportunities that are there, all of the green economy opportunities that are there. You know, we have to be thinking bigger than just our individual business. And then I love, I was, I was clapping, Kevin, around the purchasing power. Uh, we really do have to think about our purchasing power. And of course, I'm always saying that with wine, what can I do? The first thing you can do is go out and buy some green wine, right? It's actually red or white, but but also green. So I think that's a really big piece. And you also talk about social, the social impact element again, which I think again, 
join together the social impact element and the purchasing power and you've got something that is really focused upon what I'm interested in in Web3 and Metaverse and that is people power in that mix. It's okay to be sat in some kind of gold farming area minting nfts all day long and just burning up energy but it's a whole nother thing for people to sort of say hey no we're not going to do that we're not going to buy from there we don't want to be drawing down anything that is of a bad energy and we do want to work with organizations that are more socially impactful i guess that's where we've started to find things like dow organizations mark cuban's involvement in the industry as well as in feminine and female topics and subjects where we're all trying to help each other and empower each other as well. So I feel like the power of the metaverse is definitely female driven at the moment and it's starting to switch a little bit towards more of a green energy statement in terms of what it is that we're doing. I know that I'm working on a couple of very interesting experiences using hydrogen as a power source rather than just focusing solely on pure, oh dear, a Chinese power station's gone down, we can't mint any NFTs because there's no coal. I mean, these are just things that give me nightmares. Right. Kevin, sorry, I completely no, no, no. <laughs> derailed completely. I think it was great, and I think Anna hit on it. I mean, I think it's what we always come back to, whether we're working with clients in the wine industry or anything, is you know where are your most material impacts that, and where can you have the most um, impact on you know a subject whether it's social environmental and I think that you know looking in the wine industry you know one of our uh, clients that actually may, you know um, is both in wine and beer um, they're in the hops industry actually you know primarily Roy Farms the the social equity and social justice component of just treating the workers well meant that. Um, that as they had a you know predominantly migrant workforce that would come in during you know peak season, that they had the same people coming back year after year, and their training costs and their health and safety costs and their workers' comp costs were way down. Then they started you know uh, leading in the industry about you know all kind of things that that we all take for granted. Anybody that works in the office, providing shade, good places to have rest housing, you know, all types of things that made a huge difference when the pandemic came out because they had already done all this work. And so they're, they had a higher quality workforce um, at, at the same, maybe not the lowest price point, but when you took into account the entire picture of not just, you know, paying wages, but all the other facts of quality and performance and speed and time and, you know, upfront and training costs and back-end risk costs and all of these other issues, as well as they were able to educate all of these workers on the environmental issues, the energy, the water, the, conversa the conversations, the, the how to not use so much pesticide, how to, you know, grow organic, how, all these different things. And what they found was this led, they tripled in size and growth, you know, in, in a couple of years. And that is real top line business growth by embracing kind of ESG, social justice and climate. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, Anna's organization and what they're trying to do in the wine industry can, can really evangelize. Because I think so often people think, well, what can we do around the edges? Can we use a little less water, a little less energy, a little less pesticide and save a little money? Um, when you when you flip it and say, how can we double our business by using you know these matters as you know as Anna was saying, you know, picking from a, a you know environmentally preferred winery, um, then you start to move things. And same thing with you, Kelly, in terms of the the crypto and NFT space. If people feel like instead of hey, I want to use renewable, is if the market shifts to 
why aren't you using renewables, then it changes. And that's what we're seeing in the corporate sector too, is that things that were um, seen as cutting edge two years ago are now seen as, as table stakes. And so if you had a climate strategy towards net zero in the year 2020, wow, you were knocking out of the park. Now, if you don't have a climate strategy that is trying to reduce your emissions by 65% by the year 2030, who are you? You're a laggard. And that's where we need to shift the marketplace and, and mental thinking. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think crossing that chasm is really important because the early adopters, they're going to continue to early adopt using the same old energy draining resources and, you know, until the planet is, is dry, that's not okay. And then we've got the laggards who, you know, are sort of looking at that and thinking, oh, well, by the time it gets to us, maybe things will have sped up a little bit, but we're not going to be part of the change, so it doesn't really matter. And then there are people who are right on the other side of the chasm who are saying, let's put this on a hydrogen-powered blockchain. Let's put this on a different type of blockchain because then we will be in a situation where we can be part of the mainstream. I'm a really big believer in that. But also on March 28th of this year, you know, godfather of Ethereum decided to bring about the great Ethereum merge, which means that instead of before where we had to do proof of staking in NFTs and Web3, which was very energy intensive, that's all gone now. What we're looking at now is finding individuals, kind of ambassadors within Ethereum who will say, hey, let's do this the good way. Let's go about this a different way. So taking on board some of the things that you've already spoken about really does kind of um, ricochet through our industry in terms of Web3 and Metaverse to a really good effect because you're actually the change makers and we're actually listening to what you're saying and saying, hell no, we don't want to have any more of that energy draining nft powered stuff no we don't want to just have i created a standard of nfts and and people now don't want to have a jpeg that they just buy from uh, a marketplace they want something that is standardized that actually has trust and honesty and safety embedded into it i think these things are all incredibly important especially the standard that i created which allows us to be able to identify that green pathway and that paper trail excuse the the term there but certainly a paper trail that protects everybody on all sides especially the planet i think that's the way that we're going for sure what do you think the big kind of north star is we've talked about social justice we've talked about social equity social impact but what's the real north star for moving into a technological future in terms of sustainability well, I think there's a big opportunity here around the metaverse as I was thinking about this and preparing for this. One of the areas that the wine industry in particular hasn't been doing a great job with is engaging millennials and Gen Z. And that, that's the market of the future for wine. Uh, we have to be getting, and hey, I'm actually technically a millennial. Like I'm a zennial, I'm on the edge. But there are millennials now that are have money, have money to spend on good wine. But we haven't been engaging them and getting them interested. And they're not just going to suddenly at 50 become interested if you're not building that interest now. And there's 
every study in the world, I know Kevin knows too, millennials want to support values-based businesses. They're looking for that information. They're hungry for that information about the environmental and social practices of these businesses. They're demanding that. The metaverse is going to give them the chance to dig in and see more transparently you know, the, the companies that are really doing the, what, the leading companies that you're talking about versus the ones that are maybe greenwashing a little bit where there isn't the depth behind it that you need to see there. And I think a huge opportunity here is around the storytelling. If you come out to a winery, most people can't get out into the vineyard and stand in the soil and look at the cover crops and look at the trees and the plants along the outside and the bees and the butterflies and can't get in the cellar and get in a tank and think about what did it take to make this wine. And I think in this, in this direction we're going, people can start to have these much more immersive experiences that connect them to what does it really mean to be sustainable? And don't just think in the vineyard, because most people just think in the vineyard. You have to think in the winery too. You have to think in production. You have to think in distribution. And ways we can really engage people around that, all of that and make it much more immersive and I think this might be the key to attracting that millennial generation that like we haven't been getting up here in Napa County to the degree that we need to. As the resident defender of Gen X, um, I'm just gonna say that everyone forgets about us. Um, you know, the, and I'm always blown away by everyone talking about, you know, um, this is what millennials care about. And they forget that, you know, when we were growing up, um, you know, we were taught water and energy conservation in kindergarten and first grade and second grade until the Reagan administration came out. I mean, th we we were talking about renewable energy uh, in 1979 and there were, there were solar panels on the White House, you know, kind of thing. And our generation not only is already bought into it, but as, as Anna was saying, you know, so, so much, it's kind of like in marketing, people always caring about the 18 to 35 demographic as opposed to who's already there and spending money. Um, and the, the, the Gen Xers, I mean, Anna nailed it on where millennials and the Gen Zs want to go, but the, the Gen Xers want to be there too. And they want to do it because they're the ones who have, you know, kids that are of, of an age and they, they're being asked by their kids, like, are you, are you, you know, living your values or do we just have a Tesla? And then when we drive up to a vineyard, you know, all things are, are, are different. And I think that realizing that everyone kind of has a vested interest, especially in this industry, um, is there. But when you really talk about it with the North Star, I think, Kelly, it's really getting back to something both Anna and I mentioned. It's, it's keeping people in the mindset that they don't check their values at different doors. For so often, it's, well, don't check your values at work. And for a lot of people, it's checking their values at leisure. You know, live a, live a green lifestyle, but then fly all over the place for vacation and you know if you're in a country that doesn't recycle well you're just gonna litter plastic bottles like everyone else as opposed to what am i doing to actually you know minimize my impact and being a good steward and i think that um whether it's in the wine industry or any industry i think that's that's one of the key components of it um from the individual side but i think on the business side where you're really going to shift the marketplace is so often environmental or ESG or climate or social justice issues are seen as a pillar as opposed to part of your overall business strategy. And once it's in line with what your business is trying to do in general, so whether it's if it's Web3 or if it's an NFT trying to sell more of that or what's in the wine industry, how do you sell more of your wine? The, the environmental, social and governance strategy has to be intertwined to help advance 
the core mission of the business. And when that's there, that's when you see the innovation, that's when you see the employee engagement, that's when you see the problem solving. And so we have that with, you know, whether we're dealing with a, a, a large company um, like Delta Airlines or Expedia, or New York Life, or a, a winemaker, an NFT provider, an energy company, when people see that how this is going to advance the business, um, then, you know, no one really argues with something that's going to save money or increase profit or enhance brand value or attract new employees and new customers. And so that's where we need to be thinking of it as opposed to this, here's how we run our, our business. Oh, by the way, we've got this social justice or environmental platform. And I think that's really the true North star. Yeah, I have to jump in on that. I, 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 sorry, cutting you off, Kelly, but I hear something all the time from businesses is, uh, from the wine industry, and I think Kevin's probably working with brands that are beyond this mindset, but I hear this in the wine industry a lot. Oh, no one cares about sustainability. My customers don't want to hear about sustainability. And then I say, well, have you tried? Have you talked to them about sustainability? And they go, oh, no, no, we just assume. We just know, you know, sort of inherently that they don't. And I'm like, well, I can give you example after example where someone shared this story in the marketplace and their sales in that store went up 20%. And right. the same thing, which Kevin's been getting to, is there's no example. There is literally no example of a company being values-based, caring for their employees, keeping their employees on board so they don't have to keep retraining people over and over again, caring for the environment, making that a part of their ethos, where that business doesn't outperform its counterparts. There's no example of it. So I just had to jump. I know Kevin is is on this bandstand too, but I just had to jump in and emphasize that. Oh, and yeah, it's very important. It, well, Go it on, is Kevin, because sorry. you know this assumption that well, people don't care about it. It's you know we tell people go ask. You know, go ask your employees if they do care about it. And we have yet to see a a, a company where no fewer than eighty percent said they did care about it. You know, when we ask customers um, whether it's in the wine industry, whether it's in retail, whether it's in, you know, booking a flight. I mean, the, the mindset of, okay, well, everyone like books at a flight and they look at price and look at travel destination and n number of stops. True. Absolutely. Um, but then when we started saying, well, what about your business customers? You know, what are you trying to, you know, you want to hit focus on the individual customer as an airline, or do you want to go get the business customer that spends $20 million? And do they have a climate strategy or a diversity, equity, inclusion strategy that you can line up with? Why don't you go get 10 or 15 of those and, you know, grow your market by two or $300 million um, and, and see what they think. And so it's exactly what Anna is, is mentioning. It's like, you know, you not, you have an opportunity when you ask about environmental, social justice or equity questions, as well as while you're asking those, you can just ask other questions about the business and what else they would do. And I think that there's, there's somewhat of a laziness or fear of, well, what if we ask them, then do we have to do stuff? But typically, like when we're asking any stakeholder group about kind of environmental, climate, or social justice issues, 50% of the ideas that come out are pertain to that, and 50% are ideas that would help grow their business, help their brand, help them attract new customers, all types of amazing business intelligence. And it's like, just go ask your customers. They'll tell you what they want. I'm talking to you from Europe today, where I live. Um, so I'm in Switzerland, and I work with a startup. And this is going to make you really happy. Because we don't get invested in 
or we don't get VC like capital unless we can prove in most cases that we hit one or more, 10 preferably, of the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. So anybody who comes as a startup these days, in Europe especially, has to hit these targets. We have to do it. We can't just assume that we can go through life as a startup or as a business leader not thinking about these things. These things are very, very important to the future of our business and to the success of our business. And I think that's not carrot and stick. That's education. Because if we're going to talk about the, you know, the, the, the analogy of 1979 and the heavy old uh, solar panels that went on the White House, I think, you know, you and I, because I'm Gen X as well, this sings to me in a way I think nothing else has in a really long time because I want to be tested against those sustainable development goals. I don't want to just kind of give lip service to what it is that I'm creating. And so therefore, I think, you know, in Europe especially, we don't have a charmed life per se, but we certainly do have much more of a handle in terms of the things that we need to hit compared to maybe the rest of the world where, you know, it is easy to kind of drop that. And if you are flying to somewhere, I just flew somewhere recently where I made sure that my fare, I added a little bit extra on for sustainability purposes, for being able to lower my carbon footprint. And I work quite closely in the UK as well with the Woodland Trust. I come from Sherwood Forest, so trees are very important to me. And so therefore as well, as somebody in business, I think it's important to not just talk about technological advances from the purpose of resource swallowing, but also about resource developing because these things are high on my list of to-dos. And we're not done. We're not even started. We haven't even taken the first step, a lot of businesses, which is why they're greenwashing, Anna, because they don't feel confident in that space where they can say, hey, I'm educated about it. I know what it is that I want to get out of it. I can see what the third horizon is or the fourth horizon or the fifth horizon. And I'm building my business towards that. That's just not happening right now. Well, and that gets at a really key piece of what we do with our members is we do, it doesn't sound sexy, but we do what's called an integrated resource audit where everyone gets baselined for their water, energy, and waste and given their metrics and where they're at relative to the goalposts. And then we keep tracking that and tracking their improvement over time. And this gets at, you can't manage what you don't measure, right? So we, and what we do too is translate that to what's called the scope one and two emissions. We we track the energy emissions. Then there's the whole world of scope three, which is transportation and travel and all those things that you're talking about, which are much more challenging to track. But that piece is so essential. And then I think, and Kevin can talk more to this than I can, but also the shifts that are happening in the marketplace right now with the SEC and this requirement that publicly traded companies are going to have to have an inventory uh, climate action strategy and report on it and have clear ESG metrics. And the thing is, it's not far behind that any business small business, a small winery, like many of the wineries I'm working with, if they're going for finance, probably just in a year or two, they're going to be asked these questions too. Maybe not as quite the same level as a larger corporation that's publicly traded, but that's the direction this is all going. And so you need to get proactive. That's what I, I say to everyone I'm working with. Get ahead of the curve now. So you have this data now, you can show what you've been doing now 
don't wait until it's breathing down your neck, which is not far from now. It's really already happening to start measuring and managing these things. And Kevin, you know way more about this than even I do. No, I mean, you, you just actually, by saying it, you could have very well been teaching at the Stanford Business School saying, you know, what gets you know, uh, measured gets managed, but it's no different in the environmental, social and governance space. And we, we help, you know, we've helped probably 250 plus clients, you know, measure their, their greenhouse gas emissions. We help uh, firms understand their environmental and social impacts by first under, looking under the hood or, you know, through across the winery and seeing what's there then determining what, what are the biggest impacts and what are the ones that are most material to their organization that their customers care about, their employees care about, and can move the needle. And then from there, you make your action plans and you do the things that, that Anna's organization has put in place um, to, to help wineries and vineyards and people within the industry make that next step. And so, you know, uh, one of the organizations that we're working with, Libation Labs, you know, they've got an NFT product that they're trying to bring to kind of the, the wine industry. And, you know, the first conversation was, okay, so how is your product going to be way less energy intensive than somebody else's, you know, and how are you going to live your values? And, you know, if you're going to have random acts of greenness, what are you going to do that you're going to be doing more making sure that you're more beneficial as opposed to like you were saying kelly of well let's try and be less harmful and i think that that's the mind shift that we're all going for i really think you're incredibly quotable in fact both of you are super quotable which is why i'm just going to absorb all of your quotes and just use them and pass them off as my own ah. i think after today because i've learned so much and also i kind of I'm living vicariously through you. I've got one final kind of fun question. In her own words, Anna's message is to spread the message that sustainability is sexy. How do we make sustainability sexy, Anna? And then I'm coming to yeah, you, Kevin. Yeah, this is one. Of, so Kevin mentioned earlier um, sa this sacrifice. People have been thinking about this as sacrifice, and so one of my key messages that I've I've shifted to is that sustainability actually elevates luxury. I'm working in a very luxury agricultural space. We're arguably the premier agricultural product. And so the leadership that we take here reverberates. I know it does because I get calls from all over the world saying, oh. how can we do this? How do we start doing this here? And, and, what I've, and I, I say that to people and I start talking about it. I can give them examples of so many wineries uh, like Cade Vineyards or just beautiful places selling $100, $200 bottles of wine that are lead gold buildings and organic vineyards and the experience is incredible. And truly it's not a sacrifice. It elevates luxury. I was just talking to Jean-Charles Boisset about that. I mean, what, like he's some wine mogul really, but so invested in sustainability and, and proving that that is the case. He actually just put a, a wine in a can that's a $65 can of wine. It's just a third of a bottle of Cabernet. It's an incredible Cabernet in a can because packaging and distribution is one of the biggest carbon footprints of this industry. And so showing that you can have, I don't think everyone's gonna put wine in a can, but showing that you can have these incredible luxury products and still absolutely be, it's a win, 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 win. I mean, that Kevin and I are gonna be nailing that home all day that this elevates luxury, it elevates experience, it elevates your community, it elevates your employees' engagement with your business. I'm talking, like, get rid of the sacrifice word. We're talking about yeah. elevation here. 
I, I 100% agree. And, you know, if you were to use, Kelly, an example outside of the wine industry, because Anna just nailed it, think about when you do luxury travel or eco travel. You know, you're willing to go play in some cool area in a rainforest where they're using, you know, natural, you know, uh, habitat and you know conserving water and energy and using cool stuff and um and you know you have locals there who you know not only work there or if you go to hawaii you want a luau from hawaiians you don't want uh people that are just flown in from walmart to kind of give out plastic tchotchkes you know kind of thing that doesn't seem luxurious and the idea that you're making the sacrifice is completely wrong and i think that um, two things that come to me. How do you make it sexy? You got to make sustainability about the cool kids, you know, like, you know, you got to be on the party bus. You got to be on the, the bus of people where you want to go. Um, so often the environmental movement has been kind of the side bus that comes up and goes, your boat sucks. You're going down. Like, don't you understand? You got to change as opposed to come join us, come join something that's cooler, more luxurious, going to be better, more fun. You're going to feel better about it. And you're going to have a lower impact and you can tell people about it and you can evangelize about it. And getting that enthusiasm about it is what we need to do. And I think that you, if you can do that, as well as going back to showing that business case where, hey, we can actually do better by doing this. Um, then you've got the win-win-win. And I think that it's really, some of it is messaging, some of it is framing. And it's also just like bringing some enthusiasm and excitement to it. Because if you go to a winery or a vineyard and and the person that greets you starts telling you about not only the, all the amazing wines and how they go, but all the cool things they're doing to lower their impacts, maybe one out of 100 people will be like, oh, that, I, don't, I don't care about that. But probably 99% of the people will be like, that's cool. And so you have to realize it's cool. It's luxurious. And we need to be talking about it in that way, um, that in a way that includes and invites people in as opposed to kind of uh, discriminates and, and puts people off. And I think that so much of that is just we need this energy. We need the enthusiasm. We need the language. Um, and we need to show them how it's better for them. So energy, authenticity, luxuriousness, all of these coolness, post-hipster, all of these things I'm taking away with me today when I'm thinking about how I'm going to build a better Web3, how I'm going to build a better universe and a metaverse for the future of technology. And if I didn't start off as a massive fan at the beginning, which I did, I was gushing like crazy, I'm even an even bigger fan now. You guys are just unbelievable. The level of intellect that we've had today is just way up there. I can tell that you're both sort of Stanford, MIT, Harvard folks. I want to see more of this, please. And I really, really thank you from the bottom of my heart for participating at such short notice as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. We thank are you the Kelly. cool kids. This is the cool kids right here. Yeah. We, we, are, we are the cool kids now. And we invite yeah. more people in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much to Anna Brittain and Kevin Wilhelm. That was an amazing conversation about sustainability, not just for the world of wine, but for the metaverse too. I'm really looking forward to digging into more of this over the next few episodes. Do you want to join me? To keep in the loop with Cuvée Collective, take a look for us on Discord, Instagram and cuvecollective.com. See you next time.